Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Robin Goebel to the show for part one of their discussion on interpersonal neurobiology and play therapy. Part two will be released on Tuesday, February 2nd. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. It's a pleasure to be with all of you again today, and I want to share a bit about the guest who will be joining us in just a bit. We are going to be speaking with Robin Goebel. She has been on the podcast before. I'm sure after today she will be again because she is just a really wonderful person to learn from and to speak with and to interview. Um, But today our topic with her is going to be that of interpersonal neurobiology and play. So let me just give you a little bit about her background. Um, she's an LCSW, an LMSW, and a registered play therapist supervisor. Um, she is currently taking a break. Um, she's on a sabbatical from seeing clients and is focused at this time on teaching uh, and consultation. So she also has a uh, instructor appointments at Portland Community College, where she teaches about the science of interpersonal neurobiology. And she's also had an instructor appointment at Portland State University School of Social Work, Child Welfare Partnership. And in that, she has taught about adoption and foster family therapy in their postgraduate certificate program. So I know you are going to enjoy hearing from her. Uh, She always has a lot of great information to share and she will be with us in just a minute. So hey Robin, it is so good to have you here on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast again. I'm so glad to have you back again. Well, I'm thrilled to be invited back and just to spend some time connecting with you is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I also, uh, before you came on doing your introduction, told listeners that they could maybe even probably expect you again in the future beyond this podcast. Well, I hope so. So much to talk to you about. <laughs> and and I, I know we've even talked about some, some other topics. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this is good. So interpersonal neurobiology and play and child therapy, you know, our mm-hmm. overall topic today. And I know that maybe you want to, although I mentioned it in my introduction, share some of the ways that you've been teaching on this topic, like how how this became a strong interest of yours and what you've been doing around interpersonal neurobiology. I would love to. Um, I was first like introduced to the concept of interpersonal neurobiology probably about 10-ish years ago. I heard Dan Siegel do a plenary at the Emdria conference. I, I heard the recording of it. And it was one of those moments that, you know, we have these moments in our careers that just are these 
anchors, right? Like these sparks that you're like, oh, everything changed after that. Yes. And I, that was that plenary for me, just listening to him talk about this field I'd never heard of before and weaving together the relational brain and the social brain. And, and I think at that moment, I was most interested in how he was talking about the science of attachment. Yes. So I just really took with it, took it like ran with it um, and just read and learned as much as possible. And that really deepened when I started studying in depth with Bonnie Badnock. And how did that about, come about? Well, I had a really good colleague in Austin who was bringing Bonnie to Austin for a three-day workshop. And I really didn't even know enough at that point about Bonnie to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. But because my colleague was so excited about her, I knew that she must be amazing and the the retreat was probably gonna be amazing so I signed up and funny enough I almost dropped out like I after I registered for it I had this moment of realizing what I had gotten into which was that studying interpersonal neurobiology and studying like the embodied nervous system and our embodied attachment experiences wasn't showing up and learning like from PowerPoint slides and learning a bunch of theory and then walking away with it. It was immersive. It was self exploration. And I had a moment where I find, I really realized that I was like, Hmm, I'm not so sure I'm actually up for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I even reached out to Bonnie and said, I've signed up for this three day workshop and I'm, I'm really afraid and she was wonderful and uh we scheduled a telephone call so she could you know just support me through what my fears were about learning in this very present resonant embodied way which is just so vulnerable Mm -hmm. and i ended up of course going through the workshop and then uh, a couple months later, she came back to Austin to speak at the Texas Play Therapy Conference. And I, that, it was another one of those pivotal moments where like, everything changes. And she said out loud, like within probably the first hour of the day, like, no behavior is maladaptive. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I mean, that just like blew me up. <laughs> this idea. Uh, like what um and I asked her at that conference I went up to her at the conference and said are you taking consultees and she said yes (laughs) and then so I've just studied super in depth with her since then both with like she does this year-long immersive program up in Vancouver Washington that I've done and I've done other workshops with her and um you know very very regular consultation mm-hmm. so yeah like ipnb is this wonderful integration of like learning about the brain but then experiencing the relational presence with somebody else like while you're learning about the brain and how those two pieces 
come together to create shifts in like our nervous system and who we are as therapists. Right. And I, looking back, I guess I just really needed it. Like, I think I needed it personally. I needed it professionally. And I just dove in. And then last year, I was invited to teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology with the Portland Community College Foundation of Foundations of Interpersonal Neurobiology Certificate Program. Mm-hmm. So that's been really fun, too. So that's... It's just gotten me more involved in the community. And then I ended up joining the board of directors for the Global Association of Interpersonal Neurobiology. And I mean, it really is a way of being on the planet as opposed to like a professional endeavor for me. Right. Yeah. Right. But it does impact our professional endeavors profoundly. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So just, you know, in looking at, you know, this is the Attachment Theory in Action Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. Before we get down to some specifics about play and things like that, um, when you think of... Um, interpersonal neurobiology, IPNV, which mm-hmm. for some reason I don't find that acronym helpful. I have a, just as hard of a time saying that as I do like the actual words. The actual uh, words, yeah. But anyway, um, when you think of that area of study and attachment theory, what kind of big intersections like go in, like, you know, how does your mind start pinging about attachment theory and interpersonal neurobiology? So interpersonal neurobiology, and then what's kind of broadened into the field of the relational neurosciences, so really moved beyond Dan Siegel's work and incorporates, you know, Porges and Ponskip and all these other, you know, Alan Shore's regulation theory. first anchored me into truly understanding like the science of attachment it took attachment as this um this theory that felt really hard for me to grasp and turned it into something that made a whole lot of sense to me like why the implicit and why these nonverbal experiences were generationally passed down, why what happened in that first year of life impacts, I mean, everything almost. Yes. So this, the IPNB is certainly more than understanding attachment theory only, but like it brings the science to understanding how these micro moments shape us in such a profound and really awe, for me, awe-inspiring way. And then moving into how attachment theory and regulation theory are so intertwined and looking at Alan Shore's work for that. I, I think for me personally, understanding the science gave me the confidence to truly lean into my belief in the power of attachment. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and then from there, I just learned, I loved, I mean, I love memory science and memory science is a piece of like interpersonal neurobiology and attachment is implicit memory yes. and understanding how the implicit memory is 
like the foundation is laid and then now we have cool ideas from memory reconsolidation theory about how we actually can shift some of those things um so in a way it's hard to even tease out ipnb from attachment theory i mean they're right. more it's also interrelated. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking of something right now as you're talking. Um, as you know, I have a strong interest in the adult attachment interview. Yeah. And so um, in addition to the interviews and, and gathering data with the interview, we have these monthly consultations with Miriam Steele where mm-hmm. we kind of um, dissect um adult attachment interviews, totally non-identified, of course, um, for clinical application. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she'll, this phrase that she uses that I, it's not necessarily a good thing, but I love the phrase is unmetabolized emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And how we'll see that begin to bubble up as we ask questions and, and we see that of course, linguistically, because that's how we right. code the AI. But like, what from a, I was just sitting here thinking, I wonder, you know, I've, I've wondered about that before from an interpersonal neurobiology perspective, like a phrase like that, like, how, mm-hmm. how do we think about that? How, so, so from that perspective that you have, what would you say is, you know, unmetabolized emotion that is that, 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 that going on? What, what are your thoughts about that? I would look at the idea of unmetabolized emotion. I agree that that's a really lovely, you know, accurate way to look at it is these Isn't earlier that the greatest term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are these experiences that are and have emotional components to them that occurred in a way that did not provide the opportunity for the experience to be fully integrated into the brain and into those memory networks yes and those experiences get held in these you know neural networks these memory networks that just aren't you know as well let's just say as integrated with the as with the brain as we would like them to be i guess if we wanted to use language you know like like um and because you know, attachment experiences that aren't experiences of secure attachment, that aren't being co-regulated, that aren't experiences of being seen, felt, and known, they're experienced as these micro traumas in the nervous system. There's this these emotional experiences that are left not co-regulated, not metabolized. Right. And then they get stored in that way in the neurobiology and then they happen repeatedly enough right i mean we're certain you and i certainly aren't saying that these you know occasional experiences where our we weren't co-regulated as infants or our needs weren't met you know like that happens that happens that's actually good for the nervous system for our needs not to be perfectly met but if it happens enough then they form you know, bigger neural networks that then the adult attachment interview, I think is just so brilliant to imagine that it was created before we understood this science 
is so remarkable because the way then the tall attachment interview accesses these things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing to think about Bowlby and Ainsworth and others, you know, developing yes. these ideas before we knew this. Um, and even a lot of what Winnicott wrote, um, yep. which uh, we're going to get into play in, in, a, in a bit, but I love this quote by uh, Winnicott I, I was, as I was preparing for this interview. The uh-huh. practice of psychotherapy must bring clients from a state of not being able to play into a state of being able to play and that's winnicott so like you know these these scientists and um psychiatrists and developmental Uh scientists like these are like smart people they're like (laughs) figuring all this stuff out without the aid of what we have today (laughs) they were so willing to trust their intuition Yes. They saw this thing and experienced this thing and they knew it to be true and they were willing to trust it without the luxury of all the science that we have now. And I got to tell you, I don't know that I would have been able to do that. Like yes. I, the science has really helped me. Yes. Being into trusting exactly what Winnicott said. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think another term out there that'll be relevant for our discussion today that I'd like if you could share about is um, this um, term that we hear a lot about the embodied brain. Sure. Um, that that's you know, uh, and especially with Bonnie Badnock. I mean, mm-hmm. she talks about that like a lot. Right. Um, and so I think it would be good if listeners could get an understanding because that's a very different idea of the brain than perhaps we had previously. Yeah. For first off, like the idea of the embodied brain for me is this way of being super clear with our language that we're moving out of only being in our skulls, mm-hmm. especially in psychotherapy. Yes. that we've had this way of evolving in a, as a mental health field where we've really started to separate these two things, you know, our brain, our skull brain from not just the rest of our body, but like from the rest of our being, right? Like there are these two separate entities. So I think that frame the embodied brain is a important step in, bringing all this back together like we don't we need to be with people in this fully embodied relational self way and not just only be thinking about their thoughts or their skull brain that's happening up in their head yes absolutely and then you know we can talk about how the our nervous system extends throughout our body and we have a nervous system we have neurons in our heart and we have a heart brain and we have neurons in our guts and how um the brain is mostly responsible for receiving information like up as opposed to giving information out um, and out into what we do and out into what we say. I mean, mostly the brain is receiving all this information from the sensory world. And, um, and then for me also the embodied brain takes one step further, which is the embodied brain exists between us that there's this space in between people in relational connection where there's energy being shared and shifts are happening 
in our synapses and, and in our brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's the idea of, you know, not just the brain and the skull, but in the heart and in the gut and then in this experience in between us. Yeah. And, you know, so if somebody's out there saying heart brain, uh-huh. gut brain, uh-huh. what is she talking about? Is there, oh, I, I know it, it may take a whole podcast to explain <laughs> that, but um, are, are there a couple comments you would want to offer just in general about that idea? Well, that there's um, a considerable number of neurons. We have neurons in our gut and in our intestines and in our entered nervous systems and our digestive system and, and also around our heart. Like we have actual neurons, not only in our skull, they are Mm -hmm. throughout our um, viscera throughout our guts and throughout our heart and they connect with our spinal cord and our brain and so there's this way that again our brain isn't just processing information up in, in our skull it's not and it's not just connected to you know the heart cells and and gut cells it's connected to neurons like brain cells in our heart and in our gut and they're part of this amazing system that receives then information in from the world and you know then helps our brain kind of know know what to do with it right yeah yeah and so you know we have these terms like a gut feeling or a broken heart or these kinds of terms then um that we've had maybe throughout the ages even right um this is like bringing some science to why those terms came about yes there's really something physical physiological there it's not absolutely just a you know a phrase right yeah. and we also know so much more about how um how much of our uh, like our neurotransmitters are created in our guts yes. you, yeah i mean the like something like 90 percent or something of serotonin is created in our gut and so it makes so much sense now those of us in the mental health field that we need to pay attention to things way outside our thoughts and our skull brain because they're also interconnected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, as I was preparing for this podcast and we were looking at interpersonal neurobiology in play, in, in child therapy, in play therapy, these different ideas, um, I thought... Well, wait a minute. Grown-ups benefit from play. We we oh, have yeah. to we have to re- <laughs> like what am I doing? Acting like you know this is just you know for children. I mean, right, right. What, I know better than to fall into that trap. Right. But yet right. I was. So right. You know, um yeah. So what you know before we move to part two let's set the stage for for part two of what we're going to talk about and what broad ideas come to mind when you Mm -hmm. think of interpersonal neurobiology and play let's let's say for any age you know what why is it good for us sure so the first thing for me that that comes to mind for me is like sinking completely into interpersonal neurology's theory that as humans, our minds are 
complex systems and a complex system like one of the characteristics of a complex system is that we're always trying to work towards some level of organization we're always trying to come into regulation that brings me back to bonnie's statement that like kind of again like blew me up which was no behavior is maladaptive and every moment based on what's happening in the here and now and based on all of our past experiences and how they come together our nervous systems our bodies our behaviors our everything is responding in exactly the way it believes it needs to in order to be okay and that for me is a theory shifting paradigm that impacts how I come into contact with my clients from the very, I mean, it impacts how I come into contact with people in the world, but specifically my clients as I'm thinking about what they're coming to therapy for, what their behaviors are, what their symptoms are, um, having a core underlying belief that even though this behavior is clearly causing a lot of fallout, right? Like in the grand scheme of things. That's one right. way of saying it. Right. In the grand scheme of things, this behavior is maybe not working for this person. In the moment, it's exactly what their system believes is needed in order for them to be okay. And the other piece of interpersonal neurobiology and what, Steve Porges' work has helped us understand with science is, is that this, we're always looking for connection. We yes. Connections actually are default. We assume connections there and we're constantly seeking it. So, you know, you and I have similar populations, right? We work with these kids with enormous behavior difficulties. Yes. Not only enormous behavior difficulties, but relationally relational behavior difficulties, right? Like other people would describe them as, you know, manipulative, controlling, not wanting to be in relationship. Mm -hmm. So I had this population I was working with and then I had this theory and I was like, how do these things go together? Mm -hmm. This doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really needle that out. Like I had to really spend time believing that if connections are biological imperative and we're always seeking it and this child is acting this way which is clearly causing us to not want to be in connection like what's happening yes and i think that question the what's happening question the continued curiosity is the most important piece of interpersonal neurobiology and relational neurosciences in the therapy world in general Yes. But I think especially with these really, really hard kids who have been hurt so badly. Because in some ways, they're they're much more confusing to us. 
Yes. In terms of like figuring this out. Oh yeah. 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 So, wow. Okay. So I am so excited um, to continue part two of this interview where we're going to talk more about like how this shows up in us, how this shows up in the therapy room, how this shows up in our work with children, all of that in part two. So everybody, I hope you will join us next week for part two with Robin Goble about all of these topics related to interpersonal neurobiology. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.